This is Church of the Resurrection in Wheaton, Illinois. A blessed feast of Pentecost to all of you. Um, you know, being a certified older person, I've got to tell you, sometimes older people ask each other, when did you first notice that you're getting older? And the answers vary. Sometimes will be, well, it's when I noticed in the mirror the first time I noticed some white hairs. Or I'm saying, who's the old person using my comb? Another thing is you go to church and you mistake college students for high schoolers. <laughs> Another thing is that you go by a window or a mirror one day and you look and you realize that gravity is not your friend. <laughs> All those are pretty good bets. For me, I know precisely the day when it really hit me. You know, um, I was talking to Barbara and I said, hey, maybe we could do lunch on Thursday. I have to take off and go to the doctor. To which she replied, which one? <laughs> and it dawned on me, old people don't have doctors, they have medical SWAT teams. Okay. Now, why would I bring, bring this up this morning? Well, my favorite member of my team is my neurologist, my brain doctor, okay? Every fall I go in for my annual checkup and I get my MRI read and we have a conversation which starts out pretty much like, how have you and your brain been getting along? And we start talking and a few minutes into the conversation he stops and he gives me a list of words. He says, here's a list of words like caterpillar, helicopter, brick, unrelated words. He said, I'm going to ask you these same words in a few minutes. And then he immediately goes on to a conversation, asking you questions you can't, you have to, will I remember them, your short-term memory in a while? And what I found the trick to doing this, after years of experience, is you try to make a mental picture right away. The sillier, the better. So you see this uh, wiseacre caterpillar sitting on a brick looking at a helicopter taking off. That you'll remember. You know, caterpillar, uh, helicopter, brick. That'll you remember. Now, today we celebrate one of the most important feasts in the church year, the Feast of Pentecost. And this marks the end of two things. It, first of all, it, every year we, have, we, we relive the story of Jesus. We retell that story, and it starts at the first Sunday of Advent, and it ends at Pentecost, which also marks the end of the Easter season. So we're finishing our annual retelling of the life of Jesus. You know, it ends with Pentecost. Also, it's one that's so important, it's one of four Sundays the church has set aside as especially appropriate to baptize. We have baptisms on Pentecost. So I thought it might be helpful to use five words, because this is rich with meaning, the Feast of Pentecost. Five words, we can now do our own neurological examination, that are going to sort of unlock this. And I provided a cheat sheet for you. If you look back at the sermon page, you'll see five icons. Do you see them there? On page 10. The first is a grain. Let's say like a grain, a grain of wheat, a grain, okay? The second is a baby. The third is a mountain. The fourth is a skyscraper. And the fifth is a flame. So let's say those together. Grain. Grain. Ba baby. Baby. Mountain. Mountain. Skyscraper. Skyscraper. Flame. Flame. Now those five words are going to reveal to us how important the Feast of Pentecost is, its meaning and its promise for our lives. 
Let's look for all for a grain. Why a grain? I want to say a grain of wheat. Why, first of all, Jesus said as he was about to die, he explained to his disciples, he said, truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. He's saying, if a seed, you can't have a harvest unless you plant the seed, which is sort of like dying, right? You have to bury the seed. But that's the way it brings an abundance of life. It's just one grain, then you have all this grain that comes out. He said, my death is like that. You know, unless the seed dies, then it brings an abundant harvest. Now, why didn't Jesus say grain? Why didn't he say seed? Isn't that a more generic term? Why did he say grain of wheat? That's not an accident. John is really careful about this kind of thing. And the answer is the Feast of Pentecost. The Feast of Pentecost, actually very specifically the great Jewish feast of the first fruits of the grain harvest. That's the origins of the Feast of Pentecost, is the first fruits of the grain harvest. So wait a second, Jesus, and also how did you calculate it? The real name for Pentecost, that's a Greek name. The real name is the Feast of Weeks, Shavuot. Why? Because it's the 50th day after Passover. Why 50? It's a week of weeks, seven days in a week. A week of weeks, seven times seven is 49. When we've completed it, we're at the 50th day. Well, Greek, Pentus, 50. Okay, so we have 50. So the real name in the Bible is the Feast of Weeks. Notice the two are connected. Passover and that feast are connected. You calculate one from the other. There's a connection between Passover, the Feast of the Unleavened Bread, right? And we also have the feast of the first fruits of the wheat harvest. So Jesus is telling us what happens on Good Friday, Passover, takes, comes to full fruition on Pentecost. Mm -hmm. Now, why do we plant seeds? Not just for the sheer fun of doing it. Imagine someone planting seeds and everyone back. You say, what's the point? We plant grain and things to reap the harvest. So he said, I planted this incredible grain. The Lord Jesus himself, where do you look for the harvest? It's going to come. 50 days later, a week of weeks, on Pentecost. That's the fruit. And so what is that fruit? It's the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, this mighty outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And what does that do? It's amazing because basically the Spirit now enters us. Remember when man was first created? God made him of clay, but he was simply of clay, and God said he, had, he breathed into him the breath of life, and he became a living being. And that's what happens on Pentecost. God breathes his eternal life into us, his Holy Spirit, his eternal life into us. So that's the heart. So we that become individually, we are each a temple of the Holy Spirit. And it also means we corporately are a temple of the Holy Spirit. You know, we, as we gather, the Holy Spirit is in our midst. Now, why is this important to us? It changes everything. For example, think if you've ever studied a foreign language, like in high school or college, you studied a few years of a foreign language. What's troublesome about a foreign language is you hear, here's what I want to say, and then you have to think, how am I going to say it? There's sort of something between you and speaking, right? You know, here's what I want to say, now how do I say that in German or French or Spanish? How do I say that? And when people speak, you're asking them to slow down. The first word you learn is slowly, right? Because you're trying, I need time to decode. I can't just understand, I need time to decode. 
Okay. So why is this happened? Think about Jesus as during his life. Jesus said to his apostles as he's about to leave them, he said, honestly, they're heartbroken. They've bet their lives on Jesus. They left their jobs. They left everything. They followed Jesus. And he's going to die. They're heartsick. And he said, I'm telling you, this is in your best interest that I leave. How can it be better than being with Jesus? How can it get better? Because when you're with Jesus, it's like that foreign language. You know, basically, he's still across the table. You're here, he's there. Now, in your mother tongue, you don't have to think about it, right? You think something, and it just comes out. When someone speaks, you, 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 you think and you speak. You hear and you understand. There's no middleman, so there's no decoding or encoding. What happened at Pentecost is God makes, God makes himself, the Holy Spirit makes God our native language. Suddenly, there's no barrier between. We don't have to say, gee, I wonder. We don't have to decode. We can, God, you know, since the Holy Spirit even prays through us, God becomes our native language, no boundaries. You know, we speak, we, we think and we speak in the Spirit. We hear the Spirit. You know, we hear and we understand. No longer that breath. You remember before the Holy Spirit, the apostles couldn't get anything right. They're always misunderstanding what Jesus said. Later on, that's not a problem. With the Holy Spirit, they speak God natively. They understand right away what it means. So this is when God dwells within us. He becomes our native language, the living presence of God, his eternal life in us. That's a big deal. You know, it's funny because sometimes we think, as evangelicals, proudly so, that of course we're saved, you know, when we come to the Lord Jesus. Absolutely praise God. But some of us think the only purpose to be saved sometimes is just not to go to hell, is to be saved from sin. Imagine someone who wins a trip to, let's say, Rome or Paris or London. Okay, they've been this wonderful trip. And they come back after two weeks and you can't wait, an all-paid trip into one of these beautiful cities. What did you see? And they say the hotel was terrific. We had a great flight, uh, and we there, and the room service is fabulous, and we watched TV, that great cable. And you went to the city to, well, we never went out. To keep our salvation and being saved from sin is Jesus said, I came to give them life and to give it to them abundantly. He, gave a, he didn't ask us to just be saved. He saved us for something better, for life. He took us out of death to bring us into the fullness of life, a grain of wheat. Now, our second word is maybe. Have you ever noticed when it discusses Pentecost, and including uh, that it's basically Pentecost is a pretty noisy feast. We talk about this roaring wind, not just a wind. It was a, it's like the still, that's a gentle wind with Elijah or something. Nothing like no doing. This is a noisy wind. Everybody comes out to see it. And people are speaking in all these languages. It's a noisy, and we should expect this. Why? Because babies are noisy. Trust me on this. Babies are noisy. Well, what about babies? Because Pentecost is the birth of a baby. And I have good news, it's a baby girl, the most beautiful baby girl ever born. A baby girl is born, and it's her first cry that day. And that girl is Christ, that girl is Christ's bride, Mother Church, the bride of Christ. She's born on Pentecost. Now, let me explain something about the delivery. You know, birth has three stages. First of all, we have to come into the world delivery. But then we have a first challenge because our mother's been doing all the hard work. 
She's been breathing for us, for example. We've been getting her oxygen. Once we're no longer in mom, we have to breathe. So we have to take in a breath or we, we won't live. But guess something, when you take a breath, you can't take another breath unless you give up the first one, right? When you breathe in, you have to be out or you can't take another breath. So what you're waiting for at a birth is after the delivery and after the baby takes in its first breath, you want them to breathe out and you know that because they cry. That's the sign they're breathing out. It's over. The process, the child is safely born. So in the church's story, the church is born on Good Friday. That's the delivery. Remember Eve, I said Mother Church is the new Eve. Eve in the garden is taken from the side of Adam while he's sleeping. She's taken from his side to be his bride. Right? That's what happens. So what we have here is the church is taken from Christ. I remember his, his, his side is pierced on the cross and water and blood flow out. And that stands for the church. The symbols are the sacraments, baptism and Eucharist. Water and blood flow out. And so the church is, the new Eve is taken from Christ's side on the cross. And then we have, okay, the second thing we have, we have to take the first breath. Well, that occurs on the very night of Easter. Remember, on the night of Easter, what happens? Jesus comes into that closed room, and it says he breathed on them. Remember, in Greek, the word breathe, and in Hebrew, the word for breath in spirit of the same word, wind, a ruach in Hebrew, or, you know, pneuma in, in Greek. And so he breathed, he inspirited them. He put his spirit, he breathed on them. Receive the Holy Spirit. That's the first breath. That's the breath in, but what about the breath out, which is the breath of mission? As the Father sent me, I send you. We can't breathe in unless we breathe out. That's what happens on this wonderful Pentecost. The, the, the first words are words of mission, proclaiming the gospel. It's the birthday of the church. So church is Christ's bride, and I love this. The Father said, you know, Eve is described in the Scripture in, in Genesis, Bereshit, right, in the beginning, the first book of the Bible, is described as she's the mother of all the living, of all who've been born. The church father says the Holy Mother Church is the mother of all who've been born again. And it's the place we encounter God. Listen to how Paul describes the church in Ephesians. He said that the church which is Christ's body, is the fullness of him who fills all and all. Like when you went into the temple, it was holy, but each, as you got closer and closer, the fullness was only in the holy of holies, right? That was the fullness. He says the church is the fullness of him who fills all in all. You're missing nothing. That's where he is. So we've, uh, ta uh, we've talked now about a grain of wheat and a baby. Okay, grain of wheat. Grain, come on, everyone. Grain of wheat. Baby. See, we have three to go. Now, what about a mountain? Well, something God's chosen people recognized right away is something else happened at the same time of the Feast of the First Fruits. It was the glorious giving of the law on Mount Sinai. It happened at the same time. The giving of the law on Mount Sinai. And you say, wow. And so what happened? So they celebrated the Feast of Weeks as the Feast of the Giving of the Law. Now, what was the trouble with the, the law? Why, well, first of all, there's no trouble with the law. The trouble was with us. 
You see, the law is we aren't empowered to keep it. We, because of sin, are unable to keep it. And so God said, I promise you a new covenant in the sense that this time I will make it happen. I will be the one empower you to keep this. In Ezekiel, he says, I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and to be careful to obey my rules. So he's saying, you know, basically before, the trouble with the law, it's a perfect law. The whole law is holy and good. But he's saying the trouble is the law we could never keep. Right? It's, beyond, it's sort of like a doctor on an island telling one of those desert islands we tell about. And a good doctor could say, I know what's wrong with you. I can diagnose it. I, I know for a fact what's wrong with you. It's a great diagnosis, but I don't have the medicines here. I can't do anything about it. And that's sort of ours. Until we have the Holy Spirit, that suddenly, when God enables us, He gives us the power. One of Calvin's favorite verses in Scripture is, God is at work in you both to will and to work. God gives us the will. He gives us the power to obey Him. God is at work in you both to will and to work. And so what happens, remember Jesus was anointed with the Holy Spirit at his baptism. That's why we celebrate the baptism of Jesus, is his anointing with the Holy Spirit, where he became prophet, priest, and king, anointed as prophet, priest, and king. We all, thanks to Pentecost, share that anointing. We all share in his one anointing. So what does it mean to be a prophet? Well, we think of prophets as people who tell the future. Sometimes that certainly happens in, in, in the Bible. But mostly, a prophet simply tells God, speaks God's truth in the circumstances. He speaks God's truth. And that happens for all of us. Every Christian is called with the prophetic gift of speaking God's truth in our circumstances. And Jesus tells us it's really dramatic. If you're being persecuted, I'll actually give you the words. Don't, don't plan the night before. I'll actually come and my spirit will speak through you. So all of us, we are empowered. We don't have to worry about coming up with the right words. God will provide the words. And we're priests. That means we don't have, we have complete access to God. We can have everything we need for everything. God will give us any, everything we need for the task he gives us. We're completely empowered. And finally, what about king? Well, he rules over sin and death. We're, we're free. For freedom, we've been set free. We're no longer bound by those things. So we're reminded that we're empowered not just to, to follow the commandments, we're empowered for mission. Again, we can't take a new breath in, and the church breathes out by mission to the world. As the Father sent me, I'm sending you. And that's what takes place. That we're still on that same mission now, the Pentecost that continues. So let's see, we have, um, we have three words now. What are they? The first one? Grain. Second? Baby. Third? Mountain. Okay. Now, let's go to a skyscraper. Now, you're saying, in the Bible? Yes, actually, the first recorded skyscrapers in the Bible. It's the Tower of Babel. Okay. And what happens here, listen to how they describe the Tower of Babel. It says, come, let us build a city and a tower with its top in the heavens. And let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be dispersed. So they're saying, we basically have to take heaven by storm and unite to do that. Let's keep together and unite to do this. So what happens, like all sin, it always turns the opposite way. 180 degrees, that, temple's never, that, that, that tower's never was finished. And instead of bringing people together, it sent them apart. They can't even understand each other anymore. 
So what happens on the day of Pentecost? God undoes the Tower of Babel. It's a reverse Tower of Babel, because now heaven and earth are connected as never before. A perfect connection. The breath of the living God is in me, and it's in heaven. I have a perfect connection with heaven. In our church, we have a perfect connection with God. Heaven and earth are united through the Holy Spirit. And we are united in one another, right? Because we, are, we have one spirit, one breath. We share one life. And there's an analogy from the fathers that's really powerful to me. You see, as human beings, we love the idea of unity. But it's like making bread. You know, you take flour and you take water and you put it together. You got bread, right? No. You have dough, but you don't have bread. What do you need for bread? You need fire. You need heat. Without the heat, which is the Holy Spirit, you know, without that, you know, you're not going to have, without the Holy Spirit, you're not going to have bread. It'll just stay dough, a lump of dough, instead of rising into bread. So all unity comes from God. It's not something we create, but something that God has done and asks us to reveal, to stand aside and reveal. Okay, we have four. What are our words? First. Second. Third. Fourth. Well, call me a firebug. Our third is, our four, fifth is going to be a flame. But why is, that's why we're all wearing red today. It's not a fashion statement, but it's about to remind us of this truth. Why is God portrayed in the, in the Hebrew Scriptures so powerfully as fire? You know, it's fire that appears on Mount Zion. Uh, Mount Sinai, rather. On Mount Sinai. It's fire that appears. Why? There are two things about fire that really intrigued uh, the Israelites and intrigued the church. The first is this. We know God is spirit. God is, he's not a thing like the idols are things, right? You can feel them, you can touch them, you can move them around. God isn't like that, and so flame is like that. It's there, but it, it's intangible, right? You see, you know it's there, but it's, it's, it's not there in a sense, in the same way. It's not like the same way like any other element. You know, it, it's, it's, it's like a spirit. It's a symbol of, the, of a spirit. God is spirit. But the other thing about it is that it's transformative. You see, fire is not only hot and bright, but anything that approaches it takes on those qualities. If you get close to fire, suddenly things get brighter, don't they? If you're in the dark, like a campfire, you get close, things get brighter. And if, you get, if you're really cold, you've been ice skating all day, and you come into the fire in the, in the warming house, suddenly when you get close, you get warm. And if you get too close, you burn. So it's simply saying fire is transformative, right? It changes. To get near fire or to get too close is to change you. Light, heat. Now, this is the image of transformation, one of the great promises that we have from Pentecost, transformation. In three important ways. We call this, the technical term is we call it sanctification, which is simply a, a, a French Latin word for meaning to make holy. The good English word is holy, okay? But we took the French word sanctified. It simply makes holy. How do we take on God's light? How do we take on his warmth? How do we do that? And there are three ways. The first thing fire does is it burns off the dross. When you mine a metal like gold or silver, the trouble is a lot of gunk which is attached to it. You have to get rid of the impurities so you just have the gold, you just have the silver. So the power of fire, the power of God's Spirit, it burns off everything which isn't authentic in us. You know, so often the enemy tells us that all those things that are bad in us are the real us. He's a liar. 
been from the beginning. We were made in the image of God, and the Holy Spirit burns off the lies, the false us, and leaves only the real image of God God made us in. It burns off the dross and leaves the gold and the silver. So the first part of sanctification is burning off everything inauthentic, everything false it burns off. Another beautiful thing it does is think of a, um, let's see, we call it blacksmith. With the blacksmith, when you used to make tools, how did you make them? You put metal. You can't just move iron and stuff around, can you? What do you have to do? If you put it in a really hot fire, suddenly you can shape it into something very beautiful and precise. You can make a horseshoe. You can make implements. But you took something which was intractable, just this piece of metal, and turned it into something beautiful, something of art, something that shows the mind, something perfect. And that's what the Holy Spirit does. He transforms us. His fire allows us to become something we could never become because it allows God to mold us into the shape, mold us. My favorite verse in the Bible, the 2 Corinthians 3.18, as we look at his image, we're being transformed into that image. God is making us like in the, from one degree of glory to another. And the third is an ancient science they believe that fire actually transformed things into itself. They looked as one of the four elements. So they would say that when you, burn, when you burn a piece of wood, you're actually transforming the wood into fire. So it actually became fire. And so the idea is that actually when God's fire, it's, it transformed us in a sense that it, it allows us to share in his divine nature. We're not God, but it allows us to, in a special way, as St. Saint, as Saint Peter tells us in 2 Peter 1, Four, it says we participate, ultimately we'll participate in the divine nature. We'll see God face to face. So that's the power of sanctification. It burns off the dross of everything false. It leaves only that which is beautiful and true. It takes us and it molds us beautifully into everything we can be, that image that God saw before the foundation of the world. And finally, it actually transforms us so we can enter into the very life of God. You know, we can enter into his presence and see him face to face. So on this Pentecost, we reminded that the fruit of the death of Jesus, we haven't really tasted that fruit until we've tasted the harvest of the Holy Spirit. Now, Jesus left us a glorious promise. And Jesus, I'm telling you, always keeps his promises. Here's his promise. When people are saying, how do we get things? If, if you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children. How much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Jesus doesn't beat around the bush. It's like when you're a kid, the stories of the magic lamp, Aladdin, and you want to make sure not to waste that. What do you ask for when God says, do you want anything? You ask for God himself, his Holy Spirit. That's what you ask for. Nothing else is good enough. And he says, so will the heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to everyone who asks him. Thanks for listening. Our vision at Church of the Resurrection is to equip everyone for transformation. As part of that vision, we love to share dynamic teaching, original music, and stories of transformation. For more of what you heard today, check out the rest of our podcast. To learn more about our ministry, visit churchres.org.